Welcome to the Live Your Heart Out podcast, a show for wild hearts, changemakers, and soulpreneurs. Together, we dive deep into the exploration of what it means to live a meaningful life. I'm your host, Connie Bozowski, and I hope you're ready to live your magic. Hi, and welcome to today's podcast episode. Today, again, it's an interview, and I have someone really wonderful to share with you today. And we're going to have a really cool conversation about some really, really important stuff. Gut health, my friends. Her name is Kirsten Swales, and we actually lived together in Bali up until January this year. And that's how I kind of got in touch with yeah, the state of my own gut. Kirsten is a naturopath. She's a nutritionist. She's a medical herbalist. And she is specialized in working with people who have chronic digestive issues, weight issues, and suffer from fatigue. Her website, kirstenswells.com, is all about from bloated to brilliant. And she's so passionate about it. And because she helped me so much to sort out my gut, and that has completely changed my life. And because I've talked about it so much, and because so many people have asked me about gut health and how they can heal their gut because so many of us suffer from unhealthy or, or sick guts. And it's really sad actually, because yeah, having now an almost completely healthy gut, oh my God, changed my life. So anyway, welcome Kirsten. I'm so happy to have you on my podcast and hello to Australia. Thanks, Connie. So happy to be here. And that was the best intro ever. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> Hi from Australia. Yeah, yeah, you're just kind of down there right now for a little stint, but you actually live in Bali still. I just kind of left you behind there when I did in January. I know, that's okay. I miss you all the time <laughs> in Australia, which is like my other home. So it's not a bad situation. Yeah, not too bad. So let's get right into it. I'd really like to know, because you're so passionate about the gut and everything that's <laughs> going on down there and digestion and all of that. And I love people who are really passionate about something and obsessed about it and can't stop learning about it. That's why you're in Australia right now, because you went to another workshop and event to learn even more about the gut. So tell me a little bit about your journey. How did you end up where you are today? How come you are so passionate about what's going on in our stomachs? And hmm. yeah, what happened there? Well, I kind of fell into it. So I have spent so much time learning about it because hindsight's always a wonderful thing. But now that I know how good it feels to be well, I realized that I probably wasn't well for a long time. Mm -hmm. So I probably came out the womb with some gut, um, gut issues, but because no one really talks about what's normal and what's not normal, I didn't know that what, what I was going through wasn't normal. And I think it was like a sequence of events from the universe that I kind of fell into naturopathy because I was going to study massage and someone gave a talk on an introduction and I had to go home and Google what it was. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So I changed my course from there and I've always been experimenting with myself and the health issues that I had that I didn't realize weren't normal were lots of bloating. I was chronically constipated because I didn't know that it was normal not to have more than two bowel machines in a week. I used to get bloated every time I ate. But was I this was always normal. like that or just for yeah. a few years? Always, always. So it wasn't until I started studying that I learned actually we should be going every day and wow. actually eat food. It should be flat. I know. And there's a lot of my clients say the same thing. Like they don't know that you're supposed to have X, Y, Z, then you don't know that you should, that you should poop every day. <laughs> you should poop every day. I wasn't sure if I could say poop. So oh, we, we can say all of them. <laughs> but yeah, so a lot of people, I was talking to someone yesterday or no, Sunday at this microbiome workshop that I was at, which is the workshop on all the bugs in our digestive system. And I was talking to the lady behind me and she's just about to turn 60. And she's been working with um, Dr. Jason Horlack for the last nine, nine months. And this is the first time in her life that she is pooing every day. Wow. So she was at, she was having a poo maybe once every six or seven days, That's and it's crazy. it's way more common than you know. So me wow. being on this side of doing the consultations, I get to hear everyone's story, and I know that I talk about it a lot. So these are the people that I attract. Mm. But so many people are constipated or bloated, or the other way, they can have diarrhea as well. Yeah, totally. So, but so yeah. one question about that before you mm. keep going with your story, but so you basically had that your entire life, but how does that even happen? Like even as a kid, you remember like you didn't go to the bathroom every day. 
well, I didn't pay attention to it. Mm. So it's only when I started studying that I learned what should be happening. And so before that, I didn't really pay attention to my bowel motions. I didn't really look up at my poo. I didn't really pay attention to my energy levels during the day. I didn't really mm. pay attention to the bloating because it just happened. Mm-hmm. So I actually learned that I felt better if I didn't eat. So I learned that mm. I felt I didn't get bloated if I didn't eat. I learned that my brain worked better if I didn't eat. Mm. Again, with the hindsight, my bacterial balance was probably out of whack. So I was reacting to the different foods, couldn't process it properly. Got it. So you kind of condition yourself that way automatically, right? Mm, which is why a lot of people with IBS or long-term digestive stuff end up with anxiety around food. Mm. So I, that was for me for sure as well. So I got really scared of food. Mm-hmm. And living in Bali was when I was at my sickest with parasites and SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Mm-hmm. Bali is very social. So everyone wants to go out for breakfast, lunch, dinner. Mm-hmm. And every time someone asked me, I would want to, I'd want to feel normal. So I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's fine. And then inside I'd be freaking out. Like, what am I going to eat? They're going to think I'm weird. There's going to be no food. X, Y, Z and carrying on that way. So, and that's really common. So I worked with a therapist for a little while to try and explore this emotional eating type thing. Mm-hmm. And she was, she's had lots of experience with people with long-term digestive stuff developing. I don't like to say eating disorders because I don't like labels, but maybe mm-hmm. disordered eating. Yes, so disordered eating. eating. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so when did you then start to actually heal your gut like properly? I'd say it was when I, so I started studying at 24. Mm-hmm. And then I did, I started getting into all the cleanses and the herbs and changing my diet. And then I didn't feel that much better, to be honest, because I was eating what should, what in the textbook as the healthy diet. So eat all your vegetables, eat all your fruits, go vegetarian include your healthy fats. And I actually got really tired. I started getting brain fog and I also put on quite a lot of weight. I put on like 10 kilos and I got really bloated. Bloating is not a very, apparently as in German, I was speaking to a German client the other day and it's not really a term that you use too much. The bloating, you can either see it or you can't, but it's, you feel it in your gut. So you feel this distension or this puffing out. So sometimes it's just like a buildup of gas. Sometimes you might get sore, but it's usually in the abdominal area. Mm-hmm. But then you can also get all over body bloating, which I used to get. Like I used to feel puffy everywhere. And that was my body holding onto water as a result of being inflamed. That's what I had too, right? Yeah. yeah. And, mm. and inflammation is a common word. And it, on the outside, if you imagine you've got a cut, it's that red sore bit that can happen on the inside. Yeah. When our bodies are inflamed. Because remember you said after a whole bunch of stuff, you just let go as well. Yeah, the excess water. Unbelievable. Yeah, I just miraculously just lost weight. And not that I need to lose weight, but I just lost weight when like beginning of this year. And I was really surprised. But and then from talking to you about how when our body is inflamed, yeah, it holds on to water, just like it does with blisters, right? That's how you explained it to me. I I remember (laughs) all the details. Yeah. And so when the inflammation heals, the water can go home (laughs) or leave the body. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I had, and the one way to kind of see if food is causing an inflammatory response for you is maybe if some, if you wear rings, mm-hmm. like if it's tight one day or loose another day. On the days that it's loose, your body's probably feeling really clean and it's enjoying the food that you're eating. If it's really tight, it's probably holding onto water. So it probably didn't enjoy what you ate that day or maybe even the day before. Mm. Got it. To kind of check. Mm. And then you got into. Oh, I didn't all... finish my gut. Yeah. So you got into all of that. <laughs> And we, we yeah, have- so that wasn't quite working for me. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So that was like the standard sort of natural medicine, eat this and you're going to feel amazing, which is why I say the best diet in the whole wide world is the one that makes you feel the best. Because what makes me feel good might not make you feel good, might not make Susie feel good. So it's whatever sort of place that you're going to start, maybe use that as a blueprint or a starting guide and then adjust it and listen to your body. Mm-hmm. So even as your naturopath, if I tell you that buckwheat's meant to be amazing, that you know that it makes you feel good, go with that. Mm. Or there's something else. Yeah. Or like raw so, food, right? So like some people exactly, love yeah. raw food and they strive on raw food, but for other people, it just might not be the best diet. Mm. Like, it's not the best diet for me, for example. But anyway. I think this could be because we're still in the stage of ramping up your digestion. So if mm. you think of like a toddler, when you start feeding a toddler solid foods, you wouldn't give it a salad. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so you'll give them like mushed up pumpkin or banana. (laughs) Those sorts of foods get tolerated Mm -hmm. and absorbed a lot better when you're working. Yeah, so here you are healing your gut. And then finally, you sorted it out. And we're going to talk about all the specifics in a little bit, what other people can do. And how long did it roughly take you 
I studied for three and a half years and I reckon I got more healing once I'd kind of, because then I learned I had SIBO. So to clear the SIBO only took three months. But mm-hmm. then I was dealing with all the after effects of the disordered eating and healing up my gut and I was learning as I was going and I couldn't really find, I consulted with a few practitioners that were a bit more advanced than I was, but I was kind of doing everything that they did anyway. So I was a little bit feeling my way through the dark. So probably about a year and a half, mm-hmm. I would say I was working on myself and mm-hmm. the emotional stuff as well. That was big. I had yeah. oh, goosebumps as I say it. So I needed to address that to really yeah. get to the next level of my physical stuff. You mm-hmm. can't ignore it. Yeah, right. And also because it, like you said, it took you a year and a half, you know, we think that we're so used to just taking a pill and for things to just disappear, but man, the gut needs, it needs time. And especially when we've suffered from something for so long, then we really need to be more patient. And I had to learn that too. I was like, okay, I'm going to be more patient. This is going to take longer than just a week. (laughs) I know. And the more, the longer you take to get something, the longer it kind of lasts as well. So if you take like a paracetamol, yes, your symptoms will go away for a day, but they just come back tomorrow. Exactly. So. And you were also mentioning the emotional stuff that you were dealing with. Can mm. you share a little bit about that and what you did about that? Sure. So I had the inner critic. I was very, very, very mean to myself. And I think this, the perfectionism that I have come to my lack of self-confidence at times. So when I went through SIBO, I was very hard on myself. It was like, you're meant to be an activist. You're meant to be this person. You're meant to be a shining example. So I put a lot of pressure on myself and I cleared the SIBO, but then I gained 20 kilos really quickly. I gained 20 kilos in like two months. So my self-confidence just plummeted some more. And I had this inner voice all the time. You're so rubbish. You're so disgusting. You're so fat all the time. And it would, it would go and come. And then I started working with, I tried multiple people. So I tried like a psychologist, I think she was a psychiatrist. And I had another therapist. I did some theta healing. Mm-hmm. But then I went full circle back to my spiritual coach. So I actually started working with seven years ago. I absolutely mm-hmm. loved her to be. Mm-hmm. And we did some intensive work and I did a lot of emotional processing, emotional clearing. And when that kind of shifted, I got the most, I got, oh, my brain is my, is mine again. Um, wow. The inner critic's kind of gone and yeah, so it's yeah. really good. Man, yeah. I mean, the whole mind-body connection is just amazing. And I mean, considering mm-hmm. just how many people have got issues and have all this stuck energy in their survival energy centers and their survival mm-hmm. chakras down there, which is also the yeah. case for me. And in the end, like, of course, we can do all the diets in the world and take all the supplements mm-hmm. to heal our gut. But when the underlying issue is not being addressed and being healed, yeah whatever childhood wounds then <laughs> either take forever or just it'll never properly really heal and so i think that's a really important point to make that we have to address our physical issues from several directions sort of and not yeah. just heal the physical issue but also the emotional issue right because they're all connected the physical mental and emotional and the word that you use with the survival so when we're in our survival mode that's when we there's there's lots of systems in the body but two of the ones we can talk about is there's a sympathetic nervous system and a parasympathetic nervous system so the sympathetic nervous system is also called our fight and flight which is the emergency i need to survive i need to deal with this emergency And then the parasympathetic is also called our rest and our digest or our breed and feed. In this one is our digestive system, our reproductive system. Mm. So when we're in the survival mode and we're in the stressed out mode, this is our sympathetic nervous system, the parasympathetic gets shut down. It still works a little bit, but it really, really struggles. And so if you imagine that you're trying to run away from a a woolly mammoth and I come running up beside you, Connie, would you like this apple? I'm like, Kirsten, I think we can wait till we're away from the woolly mammoth. So you don't need to worry about digestion when you're in an emergency situation. So yeah, if you if I'm giving you all the supplements and everything like this, if you're super, super stressed out and in your survival mode, it's like pouring water in a bucket with holes. You'll still get some benefit, but you'll lose a lot of it. Totally. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. a great example. My gut started to be a bit funky in my early 20s and then it got worse and worse in my mid-20s. And this is also kind of the time when my sexuality just couldn't, Mm. I couldn't ignore it anymore, my sexual orientation. And it just got more and more apparent that I needed to look at what's happening here and who I am and what I was Mm. feeling. And so I got to the point where my stomach was so bad that I could barely eat anything. I remember I was living in Vienna at the time and I was down to eating like Mm. just potatoes 
like seriously <laughs> it's so hard yeah it was super hard and I went to all these doctors and no one could help me mm-hmm. so this was like in 2007 2008 and it got really bad when I had my back then my last boyfriend it got really really bad my skin got really really bad I had really bad psoriasis back then I had really long hair and then my hair was just falling out I mean so bad obviously I felt really ashamed yeah. This is like 10 years ago. So I I was not in a place to talk to many people about this or, you know, to deal with this Mm. on a conscious level. I was not on my spiritual path yet either. And so eventually though, gladly, none of the doctors could help me. And eventually though, I, I had my first girlfriend. And once I had my coming out, basically all of these symptoms went away. And then they were gone for several years. And they then just came back about a year and a half or so ago as I was in one of my last super dramatic relationships. Interesting, Uh, isn't it? Yes. It shits. It totally shits. It just, bam. And then took me about a year. And then you moved into the house, not less than a year, (laughs) in Bali. And we were talking and you were like, I think you have SIBO. And I was like, what the hell is SIBO? So maybe actually you want to talk about SIBO because it's something that so many people suffer from and they don't know. Many people think they have IBS, irritable bowel syndrome or leaky gut. Mm. They're diagnosed with that. And then it's like, well, I'm going to just, that's just what I have. But actually in like, you and I had no idea about SIBO or any of that. And so it was quite interesting when I heard that so many people suffer from it. It's crazy. I know. Mm. And it's, it's quite new as a diagnosis. I'm, I'm sure it's been around for many, many years. But I started learning more. I, th- I learned a little bit about it in college. But I started learning more about it when I went through it two and a half years ago. So SIBO is an acronym that stands for Small Intestinal Bacterial Overgrowth. I might just start with saying it's when we eat our food, it goes through our mouth down our esophagus, into our stomach, and then into the small intestine where most of our digestion and absorption happens. And then it goes into the large intestine, which is also our colon, and then it goes out through the rectum. So the small intestine should be relatively sterile. There shouldn't be too much bacteria in there. There's an issue when it kind of, bacteria should be living in our large intestine, but sometimes it can get up into the small intestine, which is the SIBO. And it's not necessarily bad bacteria. So the good bacteria, when they break down the last of our food, they give us good stuff like nutrients and serotonin and boost our immune system. The bad bacteria, when they digest the food, they just produce toxins or waste or things that can hurt our body and cause inflammation. So not necessarily bad bacteria, but they're in the wrong spot. So if your food gets from your stomach and it's not properly digested yet, it's not meant to be, like most of it's meant to happen in the small intestine. So if this food gets into the small intestine and the bugs are there, they eat it, they ferment it, they get the nutrients and they produce gas. When I first started learning about it, I didn't know if it was SIBO or SIBO. So I started calling it Cybarsol because <laughs> it is a jerk. <laughs> so they say that up to 84% of people with irritable bowel syndrome or IBS have SIBO as the cause. And I don't really even believe it's IBS as a diagnosis because anytime you hear the word syndrome, it's a collection of symptoms. Mm. It's not actually a disease or a thing and you're not your disease. You can Mm. heal it. So most people with IBS symptoms have SIBO as the cause. And unless you know what your cause is and figure out your cause and heal your cause, you can learn to manage the symptoms that you won't clear it, which is one of the things that I'd kind of done with all my experimenting. I'd found mm. a diet that really worked for me and that made me feel really, really good, mm. um, which was low carb, high fat. Mm. But as soon as I kind of strayed from it, I would fall apart. Mm. I would get really tired. I'd get really brain fog. I would just hold on to all this water. So I could, I measured it when this, my big moment where I was like, I need to sort something out. A friend came to visit in Bali and we were eating lots of healthy food. It was food that I hadn't been eating lately because it wasn't making me feel good. And on the scale, my weight went up six kilos in two days. Oh, That's not fat. Yeah, that was how. Yeah. No, to gain fat, I think the thing is you have to eat an excess of 3,000 calories to gain half a kilo of fat. Wow. So that showed me that my body was that inflamed from mm. something happening in my digestive That's system. That's a good indicator and, when you lose and gain mm, quickly. That yeah. Could be exactly. actually water, which could be connected to your digestive system. And also, what you were saying. You know, with the IBS and the leaky gut, it's almost as though because I know so many doctors out there, they don't know about SIBO. Mm. 
right? So then they just kind of diagnose everybody who has some sort of symptoms in, with their gut, and but they don't really know what it is. So they're just like, oh yeah, that must be IBS. That's a leaky gut. And then because they don't know it's actually SIBO, they don't really know how to treat it and how to actually, what sort of diet to prescribe you. And then mm-hmm. people never get better. And so when I used to hear IBS or leaky gut, it would be like kind of like a sentence for life. You know, mm-hmm. and then when you're like, "Oh, this is SIBO," and actually we can heal this, I was like, "Ooh, okay, let's talk." <laughs> yeah, exactly. And people often just get told you just have IBS, yeah, and you get sent off maybe with the FODMAP diet list. Yes. So the FODMAP diet is like these um, big words that just mean like fermentable carbohydrates, which pretty much means types of sugars and foods that can the bacteria can eat. But if you stay on any sort of restricted diet for too long you run the risk of one, developing lack of nutrients so you don't get as many vitamins and minerals from your food. You'll probably get really bored. You'll probably start feeling a little bit anxious around food as well. And it's just re- and you can also end up getting more sensitive to other foods that you weren't sensitive to before. So it's really important if you're doing some sort of treatment protocol like we did with SIBO, like you do this for X number of days and then as soon as that's cleared, you want to bring other stuff back in. So you mm. want to have that diversity or that as many different kinds of foods as you can tolerate. Yeah, right. All right. So now we know about SIBO. And then, so how do you actually find out that you have SIBO? Because, I mean, if nobody knows, besides mm. you and maybe five other people. <laughs> <laughs> I was suffering listening. The one little thing with listening to your body, I'm a huge fan of listening to your body. So when you know how to listen, you can kind of figure things out. So the common classic telltale sign is if you get bloated one to three hours after eating. So if that's happening for you, then definitely test. So there's a hydrogen breath test that you can do. There's either by lactulose solution or a glucose solution. I've got lots of blogs on my website that have links to ordering tests. They don't need to remember these words. But I recommend the lactulose, which is not lactose from dairy, but lactulose from And then you'll do like a prep diet for one or two days beforehand. And then you just pretty much take a sugar solution and then you breathe into test tubes. And this will measure the amounts of either hydrogen or methane gas in your intestines. And I love... Which are indicators for SIBO. That's the test that I did, right? That's the test that you did. Yeah, Yeah. I remember I only ate white rice for a day. I know because a lot of it's all the animal products. (laughs) So that was like your only sort of option. And the reason that you do that is because you're reducing the fermentable carbohydrates. So you're reducing the sugars in the food that can feed the bacteria. And so jasmine rice is the only kind of thing that is available for you. But for people that aren't vegan, they can also like eggs, chicken, and white fish. And that's pretty much it. So that reduces all the bloating, that reduces all the gas in the small intestine. And then on the day of the test, you drink this little sugar solution. And so if the bacteria are in your small intestine, they freak out. They're like, oh my God, I got food. So they start eating it. And then when they eat it, they release either hydrogen or methane gas. That's what's causing the bloating. So then you'll get like a little graph of where your levels are. And it's really, really important to do that test because if you do have SIBO, the treatment protocol is very specific. It's like we took you through, you have to do this, this, this for, and quite high doses of herbs. You can, and there is the antibiotics. There's a naturopath, and I really like them, and it can take two years. We do not two do years. antibiotics. No, like two that. years for your digestive system to recover. Yeah, get that. Course of antibiotics. People don't yeah, know that. this, man, and they take antibiotics for what? Because they have a runny nose, you know, or they I have know. a cough for three days. Like it's crazy. Well, sometimes they get given them for the flu, which is a virus. Yes. And so antibiotics kill bacteria. Doesn't it work? Anyway, wait. That's crazy. With the, <laughs> with the test, can people just do it themselves? Can they order it? Can, do yes. they have to go to or work with someone like you? Or like, can you sort it out with them, for example, if they were interested in doing that? Or like, how would that work? All of the above. So the company yeah. that I use for testing is Sibotest, S-I-B-O-T-E-S-T.com. And anyone worldwide can order a test with them. And then otherwise, and they ship worldwide They and then you send it back to the lab in Australia and you'll get the results about a week after they've processed it. And uh, you're welcome to write down my name for a practitioner if you like, and then we can um, have a chat about that. Mm-hmm. Or I can order you the test. You can just email me. That's absolutely fine too. Cool. I've seen other labs. I've tried multiple labs around the world and they're still my favorite. So there is one called Gastro Labs in the UK. There is another one in Germany even, but they don't. So we did the 10 samples, which is 10, every 20 minutes over three hours. And a mm-hmm. lot of the labs only do eight. 
so you don't really get the full picture and a lot of it use the lactulose. So I highly recommend the SIBO test. Trust that woman. She knows what she's talking about. So <laughs> do a SIBO test and just send it to Australia, wherever you are. It doesn't cost much and they sort it yeah. out really quickly. I think we had the mm. test result within a week or something like that. Yeah. And I had to send it from Bali down to Australia. So. All right. So SIBO, when did we start with my protocol with the diet? I think it must've been in December or something. It must've been a couple of weeks or so before Christmas. I remember. I remember because um, we were popping pills at the Christmas table. I, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. But I also had parasites. So there was a nice little combination there. Parasites that were, I mean, I went and then before I left Bali, remember I had really bad stomach pain and I couldn't understand because I was like, what? I'm doing this diet. I'm taking all the supplements. And why is it so bad suddenly? And mm-hmm. you're like, maybe you should go and get a hydrocolonic session and get your gut kind of cleaned out. <laughs> And I resisted at first. I was like, no, I don't have time. I'm leaving tomorrow. But then miraculously, the busiest Mm. woman doing hydrocolonic sessions in Bali, she had time and got me in that same day and the next day. And oh my goodness, she was like, honey, (laughs) you should have come a long time ago. So good old Betty sorted me out. We got, I mean, so much stuff out and Mm. a lot of parasites. Basically, there was a little bit of a traffic jam. Of, of, of all the parasites that we had killed with the diet and the supplements mm, and yeah. nothing could go through. And so we had to clean it out. Once we did, things started to really improve, especially mm. once I left Bali, actually, they started to improve. Being in a cleaner environment, I think also helped and just being in a different place because Bali for me is just generally emotionally very difficult place. And since then it's been going up and up and up. I mean, I've had some downs, you know, depending when I have my little fuck ups and, uh, you know, just kind of overdosed on sugar or, uh, you know, <laughs> fats. I feel like fats is something that sometimes I still struggle with when it's too much, but it's definitely on the up. It's definitely healing. It's been, yes, it's been a few months now, but you know, eventually you do become more yeah. patient because yeah, it just takes some time. So that's been my experience and I just feel so much better and just how, when I think about my depressive episodes that were especially mm. bad last year and the year before, and once I understood that connection, then usually when my stomach was bad, I was also bad up here. Mm. <laughs> um, once I understood that connection, I was like, oh my goodness. So, I mean, mm. one of the reasons, I mean, of course, I've done a lot of other work and I've also just, you know, I just did a plant medicine retreat in Ecuador and whatever. So there's obviously a combination of things that helped me, but Healing my gut was definitely a major yeah. thing that helped me to overcome my depression. And maybe you can, yeah, man. And maybe you can also, because people think the symptoms are just bloating when your gut's not healthy or it's mm. just constipation or diarrhea. It's like, nah, man, when your gut's fucked up, people also suffer from depression. When, you know, whatever their skin is not doing so well, then, you know, that could also come from the gut. Can you maybe talk a little bit about? that connection, like depression, skin, thyroid issues, energy level, stuff like that, and how that connects to the gut and what's actually going on in the gut to have these effects. Sure. Mm. Where shall I start? Yeah, the gut stuff, you'll feel it in your digestive system, but stuff that you can feel outside of your digestive system is definitely the depression, is anxiety, is acne. I had really, really bad acne, and the doctor put me on the pill when I was 16 and didn't know any better. So it wasn't until I healed my gut that that went away and stayed away. You can get infertility, and that's really connected as well. There's inflammation, so you get arthritis-type conditions. Like you have the psoriasis, that's really common as well. Um, brain fog is a massive thing, and fatigue, and also sleep issues. Mm. So there's something called the gut-brain axis. And in Ayurveda, they actually say we've got three brains. They say that we have our stomach brain, our heart brain, and then mm. our mind brain. Yeah. Mm. This one's most important. This is second important. And then this one, but this one tends to control a lot of our stuff. So, and then we've also got this thing called the vagus nerve, which I think is cranial nerve five. I'm not too sure about that. That's the one but here. This is, it goes all, so vagus stands for wanderer. So it starts in the brain. It comes down through our throat. I talk about it a lot with you with the throat. Yes, I remember. Mm. <laughs> and it comes all the way through your digestive system. It also services our heart. But only 10% of this guy's function is to power the heart, which, and we need this heart for our life. For life. And then 90% of the function of the vagus nerve is to support our digestive system and keep that running. And the reason I talk about it through the throat is because anytime you stimulate your, your vagus nerve, anytime you have a vibration in your throat, you're helping your digestion. So deep breathing, singing, humming, gargling with water, these are all non-food things that you can help to support your digestive system. And then they, with our gut bacteria, so the good bacteria in our large intestine, when they're working as they should, 
they produce serotonin, which is self-confidence hormone, it's our motivation hormone, it makes us feel good. And 95% of our serotonin is produced in the gut. People That's don't get that. massive. Yeah, they don't understand. I, mean, I no. didn't know that either. You know, when I heard yeah. that number, I was like, oopsie. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's certain strains of bacteria that produce it as well. So it's another really nice test that I like is the U-Biome, U-B-I-O-M-E. And that gives you like your diversity of some through the states. And then you can see which bacteria you've got and which you don't have. That's the test that's called. That's the test. Yeah, that's the one I want you to do next. I'll put all everything like we mentioned and all the resources in the description of this podcast episode in the blog post. But uh, okay, cool. So we can actually get everything kind of looked at what's in our gut, like all the bugs and all the good stuff and the bad stuff and kind of have that looked at our microbiome. Yeah, Yeah. and it's a relatively cheap test. Like it's only $89 or you Mm. can get three for $200. Mm -hmm. And it gives you at the molecular level, so like a DNA level of all the bacteria. It's cool. Cool. Might need some help deciphering it though. I'm happy to do that. Mm-hmm. But then another way that we can be affected from our gut with depression is we mentioned leaky gut before. I'll just explain leaky gut. Mm-hmm. So in the digestive system, we have my little, I know you love this description, we have our tight junctions. So this is the mucous membranes of your digestive. <laughs> I use it all the time. <laughs> so they should be nice and tight. And that means that the vitamins and minerals can go past because our digestive system is like the outside on the inside. And then the rest of our body is our internal environment. So we want the toxins and we want those stuff and those feces and the whatever to stay in the digestive system. But if our gut becomes leaky, then things can get through and they can pass into the bloodstream that not meant to. And that can cause the inflammation, which is like the sore, the red bit, and you can hold on to water and you can feel sore and your joints can be stiff. But then often if there's leaky gut, there can be something what's called leaky brain because we have the blood-brain barrier as well. So not many people talk about this one. Mm. So if you have leaky brain and inflammation in the brain, present as depression. There we go. There's that connection. So actually leaky Mm. gut is a symptom of SIBO. Yes. So SIBO, if you remember those bacteria that are fermenting foods in the wrong way, Mm -hmm. so inflammation, 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 you'll hear it so much. So if your body is inflamed or the digestive system is inflamed, if you imagine like I've got a sore and I'm constantly scratching that sore, it's never going to get better. Mm-hmm. So that's going to hurt your digestive system. That's going to hurt your mucous membranes. It's going to hurt the big gut. So too much inflammation, which could be from SIBO, which could be from too, food intolerances, is going to cause the leaky gut. Got so it's it. It's more a, res, a result of rather than a cause of. Yeah, like what you mentioned, I think, earlier on was that IBS and leaky gut are actually more symptoms or a result of, yeah. but the actual underlying cause is something like SIBO and that's not something that many doctors know about which is a sad story Mm. yeah and there's different things that you can do to heal leaky gut with different nutrients like glutamine or slippery elm but if you just kind of say your bucket with the holes if you're just putting corks in it it's going to last for a little bit but it's not really going to fix it you've got to just take all the water out fix the bucket and put the water back in Mm. might seem more intensive but it'll save you time in the long run Right. So let's say someone doesn't necessarily want to do like a test right away or whatever, maybe doesn't have the money mm-hmm. right now. Can they maybe do some sort of exclusion diet or, you know, like for, and just see like for a week or two, let's say like the diet that I've been on sort of, can you maybe just give them a few pointers what they should or should not eat to kind of see and test whether uh, gut health is at? So before they even do that, I'd recommend starting a food journal or and like a food and mood journal. So don't change your food just yet. Eat normally for at least five days and document everything. But also start by monitoring your energy levels on a scale of one to 10. And the scale of one to 10 is really good because we forget. We forget where we've come from when we start to feel better unless it comes back. So I always recommend the scale of one to 10. So your energy levels, floating on the scale of one to 10, how much your digestive system is affecting your life on a scale of one to 10, because we underestimate that as well. What's your sleep quality like? And so anything that might be a big concern for you, write that down. Then write down all your foods for the week and any symptoms that are coming up. And also want to know about your food. So write down your bowel motions every day. So the diet that I use, and then when I say diet, it's your way of eating. Because diet's got a bit of a negative connotation yeah. sometimes. Yeah. So the way of eating, there's something called the biphasic diet. So two-stage diet by Dr. Narada Jacobi. And it's a combination of, I mentioned the FODMAP diet already, and also like the SIBO-specific diet. She's a really smart lady. And the foods in here are really low in inflammation 
and they're also really low in the fermentable carbohydrates. So if you're going to feel better, you'll probably start feeling better within a week. But just remember that this is like kind of managing symptoms. It's not really figuring it out. So then keep going with your food journal and then see how your energy levels have improved. Has your brain fog improved? Has your depression gone down? Has your energy gone up? Basically, with the diet, can you be more specific? So basically, it's like no gluten, so no Mm. processed, like no bread, no pasta, none of that. No coffee. No alcohol. I can probably put it together. Look at you go. <laughs> no sugar in any yeah. shape or form. Basically, just water. You can maybe have a little bit of green tea or black tea. Mm-hmm. Uh, like no beans, nothing that's canned, nothing that's fermented, like no soy stuff or no kimchi or kombucha or no probiotics. Like stop that. Because people think, oh my gut's fucked up. I'm going to take a lot of probiotics. But when you have SIBO, and I didn't know that either because I was taking probiotics mm. thinking I was doing a wonderful thing. Turned out, yeah. oh no, that's not a good thing. <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's not known yet. But mm. if you find that when you take probiotics, you get bloated, that's a pretty good sign you've got SIBO as well. Right, right, yeah. Can you uh, summarize again? So the stuff they should eat and should not eat, just like okay. a little overview. Sure. So grains, it's even more specific than no gluten, just taking out the grains because yep. grains are really inflammatory. So the only sugar or sweetener, effectively a sweetener, is stevia that you can have. Unless you're not too sensitive, then you can have max two tablespoons of honey. The only alcohol, if you must, is 30 mils of clear spirit. And then you want to have the low fructose fruits. So fructose is one of the types of sugars. Pretty much it's like the berries are really low in fructose and the citrus fruits are two serves per day. You don't want to go too crazy. And then the vegetables, there's not really too many classes, but the easiest way to think about it is most of the vegetables that grow above the ground. So they lower in the starch. So the starchy types of carbohydrates tend to be high. No potatoes. Not yet. Sweet, some, and this is where it gets tricky because sweet potatoes, amazing for some people, really tricky for others. Mm. You do really well on rice. Some people freak out on rice. So those types of carbohydrates, it's a little bit you need to, I would recommend starting with a small amount seeing how that goes Mm -hmm. because we can often tolerate different levels so Mm -hmm. you might be able to have half an avocado but if you have two you might feel a bit gross Mm -hmm. finding your little level for that and then generally obviously coffee is not a good generally i mean for everyone coffee is not the best thing for your gut especially when it's not in the best condition i noticed that pretty i know when i know why i'm being yes absolutely me too i love coffee myself i love it i love the smell of it the taste of it everything about it so it does stress out our adrenal glands the adrenal glands produce adrenaline which is one of our stress hormones so when our adrenaline levels go up we need to reduce we need to release insulin levels so that messes around with our blood sugar levels so it messes around with our digestion what it also does is stimulates the release of cortisol which is another stress hormone and back to my little leaky gut example cortisol makes the leaky gut go leaky so we mm-hmm. don't want the leaky gut and it irritates the intestine so a lot of people actually rely on it for having a good bowel motion that's not a real bowel motion so it's just kind of the reason that it's coming out is because it's irritating the gut and the gut just wants to get it out so even just try it for a week. Just notice the difference for a week. I had one client that was having eight poos a day and we did a whole consult. And eight. Staff and eight. That's eight a... poos in a day. That was the reason he wanted to come see me. So we did a full consult. Everything else sounded pretty good, but he was drinking five cups of coffee at work. I was like, before we even do anything, can you just maybe swap those with some tea? And then we spoke a week later. He didn't have it. He was really good. He didn't even reduce. He was like, oh, done, gone. Oh, my poos are normal. Didn't need to do any bacterial, didn't need to do any gut healing. It was just taking the coffee out. Wow, yeah. So, and he, he wrote to me a couple months later, still good. Okay, amazing. Wow, yeah. yeah. I mean, coffee is, is a really difficult thing. And mm. I mean, we both know we <laughs> the, the bad effects of coffee. We're fully aware of it. And yet we just really like it. And I just try to take breaks, you know, take coffee breaks. Mm. Like now and again, just not have coffee for either a few days or like a whole week or maybe even a whole month or more. Just kind of give my body a break. And the same with alcohol. I know like you don't drink at all, but I just kind of like a glass of wine sometimes or, you know, some beer. I don't really get drunk anymore. But even that, I mean, the health the healthier you get, the healthier your diet gets, the less you want to actually give your body all that toxic stuff, you know? And mm. so your tolerance goes down in terms of how much alcohol you can take, which just doesn't feel right anymore. After two glasses of wine, yeah. I'm just like, I'm going to go home. 
And then the same mm-hmm. with coffee. I mean, yeah, we become more, more sensitive, which is actually a really good sign. <laughs> it's like when people can take five cups of coffee, I'm just like, whoa, man. <laughs> yeah. If they're waking up at 3 a.m., it's a really good sign that they shouldn't be having that. Well, and that's the next thing, right? Sleep, for example, with coffee and alcohol. I'm just right now, I'm tracking my sleep quality and with the sleep cycle app and the times when I, even if it's just one glass or two glasses of wine, or even when I don't usually have two cups of coffee, but when I do, I can tell immediately my sleep quality on the app. It tells me, it's like, okay, got it. I can feel it in my chest. If I start going, it looks too much. But replacing is always easier than taking away. Yes. So if I say don't have the coffee, Connie, that's all you're going to want. So like I know that you're doing the four sigmatic or when I was going also, there's like a thing called red espresso, which is made from robust. So I like my little ritual in the morning with my little mocha pot and you can use it just like espresso, but it's caffeine free and Mm. it bubbles away and. Or also do like a little cacao ceremony, you know, doing that, Mm. get really good, high-grade, awesome cacao and have a cacao ceremony in the morning. It's kind of what I'm starting to do. Cacao is really good for your guts as well. Mm, They go. And, you know, maybe just have a tiny bit of coffee. (laughs) Like my teacher, my like nutrition and fasting teacher in Thailand, she's like in her 60s or 70s now. She's American and I go to her to do my fasting courses and and stuff and you know she's the healthiest woman ever and she's so conscious of everything she puts into her body she would not let anyone else cook her food because she wants her energy in her food you know which is completely right but she loves coffee so the way she does it is that she would have she makes her own coffee and it's the best beans and the best water and all of it and she has it in the fridge and then every day she has like one teaspoon or one tablespoon of that coffee <laughs> yeah. you know? and that's it because she just likes to enjoy the taste where she puts it in a glass and puts whatever else in there like some fresh nut milk or something and yeah. that's how she enjoys the coffee it's like you don't have to completely throw it out the yeah. window that sounds really nice and it sounds like she's in a really good place about it as well so i think mm-hmm. the intention we have behind something is really important yes so like maybe someone is like no i can't have any coffee and then they're gonna be really sad about it and i also noticed the more my i worked on my self-love and self-acceptance that the bad stuff kind of just fell away Mm. so like with with alcohol it's not like i've got anything against alcohol but i just don't really like it and that sort of started happening when i yeah my power or something yeah totally actually for sure because we don't then have that need anymore to const- to distract ourselves as much right mm. with, by drinking or whatever else it is we use as a distraction mechanism it can be work it can be shopping can be you know whatever but alcohol obviously mm. is definitely Mine is overeating. Favorite one. or <laughs> overeating yeah food for many people yeah. or sugar for me it was sugar for the longest time so that's that yeah and while we're talking about it like in general do you have any sort of general recommendations or something if People just generally want to maybe start a healthier diet, like what's considered a healthy diet, actually. I think many people, they're not quite sure like what healthy actually means in that way, you know, yeah. what we put into our bodies. Well, if you haven't got SIBO, <laughs> if you're not sort of dealing with some digestive sort of stuff, I'd get that sort of out first. But aim for a variety of fruits and veggies. So aiming for a variety of unprocessed plant foods is a really good thing. And what my biggest sort of takeaway from this workshop on the weekend on our gut bacteria was aiming for 40 different plant foods per week. That so might sound like a lot, but if you think of six per day and then say two meals a day, that's three per meal. And even anything over a teaspoon can count. And that's going to help with the, all the different nutrients and all the different stuff to feed our gut bacteria. The main triggers for hurting our digestive system are, I mean, it's not food, but stress. It really, really affects our digestive system. So if we can learn to manage stress, we can't always take it away, but just find ways to deal with it and process it is really important. And then, not many people know this one, but try not to eat with your meals because it dilutes your digestive juices and it dilutes your digestive enzymes. What? Try not to eat with your meals? Did I say eat? I meant drink. Try not to drink with your meals. Try not to drink with your meals. So like if I'm trying to get my nail varnished off with acetone, it's going to come off pretty quick if I just use pure acetone. But if I dilute it half with water, then it's going to be harder to come off. Mm. So don't drink with your meals. <laughs> and don't eat on the run. So sit down to eat, process your food. Those are really, really good tips. And in terms of foods to eat, 
avoiding the processed sugars. They are the most um, inflammatory to our body. It's probably even worse than smoking by, by our bodies. And including a variety. I like to put spaces between meals because this helps with something called the migrating motor complex, which is like this sweeping wave that goes through your digestive system every 90 minutes. But as soon as we eat, it kind of stops going. So if you stop this migrating motor complex, the food kind of backs up. And it can, it's like if you don't empty your bins, you can start attracting the flies, you can start attracting the light, mice. <laughs> well, they say maybe like, you know how there's like these different theories out there and who say, oh, you should have little snacks in between your meals, whatever. Mm. Whereas actually what I read the other day, is like a good amount of time between meals is at least three hours. Like just don't eat yeah. anything in three hours, just have some water. Yeah. That's, that's what I believe as well. Yeah. So if we're eating all the time, then we are stopping this migrating motor complex but we're also constantly spiking the insulin, which mm. is a blood sugar that um, a pancreas releases. But then remembering every time it releases this insulin hormone, our, our adrenals need to release adrenaline. So it's also stressing our adrenaline. So it's not just at the adrenal glands. It's not just stressing your digestive system. Mm. It's stressing the whole body. There are exceptions. So I've got a couple of clients that struggle to put on weight. So with SIBO. Mm -hmm. So then it's like, what is the more important objective that you want? Yeah. So if you're really underweight and you're trying to put weight back on, then I mm -hmm. might actually suggest eating smaller meals more regularly so you can get that weight back on. Yeah, it's right. Choosing, choosing the objective there. The migrating motor complex takes three hours to kick back in. I'm a big fan of spacing out your meals. Mm. And I just yeah. want to add maybe because you kind of mentioned plant-based and stuff, because I'm vegan and, and so many... People think that being vegan is automatically healthy, which is not because you can still eat a lot of processed shit and fake meats and whatnot, or all these vegan cheeses where there's so much stuff mm. I put in there. It's crazy. So I just read yeah. a lot of labels. And when you start reading labels, and I only did that when I started being vegan, that's how I turned healthy is because when you start reading the labels in the supermarket, then you realize all the shit that's in the food. And then mm. I became more and more conscious of, you know, what I put into my body and all the sugars that are in food that I had no idea there was sugar in it. And so yeah. I just kind of more and more stayed away from processed stuff, packaged stuff. And now these days, you know, when I put my like tech photos of the food that I cook and put it in my Insta story, and then people are like, oh, you know, can you give me the recipe? And I'm just like, Dude, I just go to the supermarket. I just buy all colors of vegetables that I can find. Ooh, I, yeah. I cut that up. Some of it I eat raw. Some of it I put in a pan, put some oil in it, and then maybe some brown rice or whatever. And then that's what I eat. Mm. Like it's not rocket science. It's just fresh mm. stuff. Like stay away yeah. from the aisles in the supermarket where there's processed. I was just going to say that. Go around the outside. That's where all yeah. the good stuff is. Yeah. And like a rule of thumb on packaged ingredients, like if it's got more than four ingredients, I usually put it back. Yes. If food shouldn't have ingredients, it is ingredients. Exactly. You know, that's a really good rule of thumb, actually. If it has more than four ingredients in the package, it's not food anymore. <laughs> no. And they're pretty sneaky with sugar because they have yeah. on the ingredients label, they have to list things from the biggest to the smallest, or most mm -hmm. countries. I want to do a Facebook Live now that I'm in an English-speaking country on food labels because I've been waiting to do it in Bali and Bali. But so they can break down the sugar into all the different types of sugar. So if they put like honey and glucose and cornstarch and this and this and this and this, even so it might look like it's not very much sugar, but the whole thing could be sugar. That's mm. another big thing to watch out for on food labels. True. And also what's difficult is actually I've noticed here in the States, even more so than in some other countries like in Australia or in Germany is mm. nut milks. So I like my almond milk or I tried out flax milk, you know, or cashew milk oh. or rice milk or whatever, you know? Yeah. Flax milk for some reason is really big here now. <laughs> Never seen it. Yeah. So the problem is that I read my labels and mm. It's actually quite difficult here to find milks that have less than four ingredients in them. And also they like to add okay. sugar in those nut milks generally. So it's actually harder to find just nice, clean, unsweetened nut milk anywhere. Yeah. Like in, what's awesome in Bali, when you go to a coffee shop and some of them, they make their own coconut milk, mm -hmm. you know, and don't add anything or they make their own almond milk, which is actually really easy to do. It's just, it just mm -hmm. takes five extra minutes, right? It's a time thing and mm -hmm. you can't store it as long. That's another thing. So it goes bad within a couple of days. A friend of mine was making it and freezing it, and that was working oh, pretty well. So freezing. apparently, it freezes pretty well. Yeah, she would um, maybe do like half a jar serves, mm. and so then she just pulls out a jar every couple of days. That is a hot tip, yo. On the nut milks and the other milks, just look out for a preservative called carrageenan. So mm -hmm. it's a seaweed based preservative, which is natural, but mm -hmm. it's another intestinal irritant, and it's in most of the milk alternatives. What's it called again? 
Cara Jenin, C-A-R-R-A-G-E-E-N-A-N. And they like to put that into these milks and then that irritates the stomach as well. Yeah, because yeah, it's natural because it's from a seaweed. True story. And that's the interesting thing, right? Like it's like you think you're doing something good, you know? No. And then it's like, oh no. <laughs> no. I was like that when I learned about agave nectar. Mm. So agave nectar is higher in fructose than high fructose corn syrup. So a lot of people know the not so amazing things about high fructose corn syrup. Mm. I was working in a health food store at the time and it just started coming in. There was one brand I was in charge of doing the orders. And so I was like, oh, this is amazing. It's great. It doesn't affect your blood sugar level. So I ordered it in and then there was two brands and then there was five brands and it was taking over and it was very excited. Then I learned about the fructose. Like, this is such a rot. So I stopped ordering it. <laughs> And the customers would come in and I'd try and educate them and oh, they used to get a little bit upset but eventually I had to go back in. Yeah. Oh man, there's but, so yeah, much. It's my, one of my biggest bandwagons. It's crazy. And the way we're conditioned, yeah. you know, of how we grow up and the relationship that we have with food mostly mm. in readiness or conditioned while we're children. And I mean, the shit that I used to eat, you know, I mean, my mom really tried, you know, mm. to give me healthy stuff, but there's just no chance. I needed, I just wanted my carbs. Mm. I wanted my pasta, my bread, my potatoes and my sugars. That's it. Yep. <laughs> I reckon now, our generation, if our kids now, I reckon there's so many more pesticides and so many yeah, more preservatives. True. They say that the bodies don't decompose as quickly. So in like a generation or two generations ago, you had to involve oh, the body within wow. one day. Now they have a week before it starts oh, to go funky. That's not a, yeah. not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> no. Wow. Okay. Well, we could talk about, you know, healthy food and how fucked up the food industry is forever. <laughs> <laughs> episode on that but actually i just want to quick or not quickly but just before we kind of wrap up because you just recently did a 33 day water fast and you just drank water and here you are you're still alive look at you you know i am better than ever it was amazing so yeah, it was uh, horrible while i was doing it but i've I feel only like- done like a seven day and it wasn't a, just a water fast. We also drank like coconut water and mm. like cinnamon tea. So I'm interested, why did you do it? And I mean, I know you like fasting in general and I'm a big fan of yeah. fasting too in all its different ways, but why did you do it? And what were the effects and what would you recommend someone who might want to try a little fast out? Sure. Well, I was actually, oh, so so I think like a runner wants to always do a marathon. I've got a 40-day water fast on my bucket list. I don't know when I'm going to do it, but at some point I will get there. You want to do 40 days. That's yeah, but I don't want to let my ego get in the way. Yeah. So I was listening to my body the whole time. The first time I did a water fast was like 10 days and I was monitoring my blood pressure every day. I was checking my tongue signs. I was doing a whole bunch to make sure it's okay. So very important. Um, I did it because I was stuck in a bit of a cycle with food. Like I was eating the almond croissants were my little kryptonite. So I'd go for the almond croissants. Not that they're that bad, but I was having too many of them and I was a bit tired. And I know that when I'm in a really good groove, I'm waking up naturally around 5 a.m. If you'd left me, I'd happily sleep until 8 a.m. So I knew that that was kind of not so good. And I had been losing, a little bit was weight loss. Some people don't like to talk about that, but a lot of it, uh, some of it was because I'd put on that 20 kilos. I got a lot of it off, but I was losing the same five. I just wanted like a, a boot, like a bit of a reset. Mm-hmm. And I'd read, so I do, I was having issues with thinking joy because it takes up a lot of your energy brain space. Mm-hmm. And I've been reading studies that if you get past that 21 days, it kind of resets this. And I know that it's past 14 days, your gut kind of resets and it heals your digestive lining. So it was kind of like to do a reset, like a little bit of reboot. And I wanted a bit more shine in my skin. That sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. What was your second question? And then, Why so you just did, was that in, you did it in January, I think, right? When I left. Mm, not long after you left. Yeah. So you just kind of decided that's it, no more food, and then just had water every day. Yeah, that's it. So I did a bit of preparation beforehand. So I started eating more vegetarian food, more vegetables. I'd had some juices. I made sure that my electrolyte stores were really good. So your electrolytes are your sodium, potassium, calcium, magnesium, because those are the ones that tend to get depleted on the stuff to get me through. So And I sucked up on some good healthy fats as well, because that's going to sustain you for longer. And... The reason I did that, so I wasn't scared about gaining weight in the preparation because that's going to sustain your body in a nutritional way. But then because you're giving your digestive system such a break, once you get past three days of no food going into your digestion, 
it stops from metabolizing and it goes into repair mode. So it's a whole different process. So I wanted enough nutrients to kind of get me into that process. So my body, it's also another thing called autophagy. So auto is like self. So go, your body goes around and it starts seeking out all the dead, broken stuff and it uses that for fuel. It's so cool. It's so much amazing. It's so cool. And oh, I get goosebumps when I talk about it. And like neuroplasticity, it's like when like all these little pathways in the brain, because it is a stress on the body. It's something called a hormetic response, just like exercise. So like while you're doing exercise, it might be stressful, but you get the benefits after. Mm-hmm. So while you're doing a fast, it is quite a stress on the body, but you get all these benefits after. Yeah, wow. I mean, fasting is so underrated, I feel like, in general. So underrated. It's uh, available to everyone. It's available it's to everyone. Free. Yeah. Yeah. And it's awesome. also something that many religions, like it's been around forever, you know, and For many sure. religions have fasting in, you know, somehow ingrained. And, you know, also, I mean, these days I feel like fasting has a bit of a comeback, which is awesome. I mean, I've experimented with mm. it and keep on doing it. And I do intermittent fasting. I mean, there's so many different ways you can fast. I do intermittent fasting basically daily where I fast at least 16 hours or maybe even 18 hours. And then I'm also now kind of starting to fast even more and longer, like 24 hours once a week or every other week. And that feels really nice. So what would you recommend someone who wants to try out fasting or should they go on a retreat? Should they? That would always be lovely. Yeah. I would recommend starting small. So one of my mistakes was when I first wanted to do water fast five years ago, I was like, yeah, 40 days. I got so excited and I fell down. Uh, well, I didn't fall down. I stopped at 10 days and I was like, oh, I didn't make it to 40 days. 10 days is amazing. But I set my goal too big and then I felt like I failed. So if you just start with one day, see how one day goes or start with an intermittent fast, start with a feeding window like you're doing. Mm-hmm. So maybe have like eight hours of a feeding window. So that could look like 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. So don't eat outside of that. Like no calories. You can have like some herbal teas, but no calories because anything with calories will start the digestive process. Mm-hmm. And then if that goes well, you can go to six hours. If that goes well, you go to four hours. And then maybe once a week like you're doing, you could do a 24-hour fast. Or even it's quite simple to do a 36-hour fast so if you have the last meal at 6 p.m., don't eat the next day and yep. then have your breakfast then at 6 a.m. Because mm-hmm. that increases the autophagy, so that is mm. breaking down of the old stuff. That starts to kick in around hour 24. Mm-hmm. So if you can go to the 36 hours, you'll get a whole bunch more benefit in those eight hours mm-hmm. and you'll be sleeping as well. So you'll be feeling up and rested. Mm. And then there's different sort of, it depends how purist you want to be or not. So you can take electrolytes during a water fast. I chose not to because I believe my body has got the stuff that it needed. There's even one guy, he fasted for 383 days, mm-hmm. but he was taking multivitamins each day and he, was, he had quite a lot to lose. Mm-hmm. And they've done studies, Jason Sung, if you want to research, is a really good um, fasting guy and he's measured people. So he measured the nutritional vitamins and mineral composition of the body before and after a fast and it doesn't actually go down as much as you might think i think mm-hmm. one it's like four percent so mm-hmm. it's not you're not going to get that deficient mm-hmm. yeah like i do i've done the fast it's like more like an elimination fast i guess the one i've, I've mm-hmm. done a, a few times in, in thailand now and where we have two fresh coconuts a day the coconut water we have some minerals that we take some herbs what else a cinnamon tea all of that and then we have like some workshops with Hillary about nutrition and it's a very interesting fast and mm. it's in a very sort of safe environment. And I found it quite easy to do because you're removed from any temptations. There's no restaurants mm. around. It's, I find that easier when you're in an environment that's not, you know, your home or where your friends yeah. are. And when it's also a very beautiful environment right on the beach. So if anyone's interested in that, I'll put that into the show notes as well. But yeah, fasting guys, get on it. It's awesome. I love it. Yeah. And rest as much as you can because it's a really healing time. Yeah. And if you want to journal, if you want to do some self-work, because one of my things is like I was talking about distracting myself with food. So when I did all that emotional work, that sort of just the need for that distraction went away. So if someone hasn't really done that work yet, be very prepared for a lot of emotions to come up when you fast because you don't have these distractions from alcohol True. Or, or food or whatever. So as long as you know that that's a normal part of the process, I think it goes down better. Whereas some people, if they don't know that that's going to come up, they might get a bit freaked out and then want to stop the fast. So just preparing for that. True. That's a big point, actually, because you realize like on the first day or two, it's like, uh-oh, <laughs> actually, what do I do now that I'm not eating? Yeah. <laughs> but when you get into it, it's like I've got all this extra time. I was so much more productive in work and I was just like, yeah. 
Yeah. And I've also noticed that actually for the first two days, my energy levels stayed completely the same. Mm. So there's yeah. like two days, no eating, no food, not a problem. Like these people, they like, oh, I'm getting, you know, hangry or I can't go without, you know, having three meals a day. Yeah. I'm just like, have you ever tried? Like, Just try. That's it. Just try. All these things that we feel in our stomach, that's not true hunger. A lot of those exactly. rumblings, that's the migrating motor complex. Yeah. So there's also a thing with like the longer fasters. They talk about fasting to completion. I didn't quite get there. Mm-hmm. So that's when you feel this true hunger in the throat mm-hmm. and when your tongue goes perfectly clear. So my tongue was, oh, it tasted gross. From like day, oh, from day 14, I, I wasn't having a good time. It was horrible. It was like one day at a time. <laughs> but you kept going, you know? I like, kept going. You have yeah. some awesome willpower. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And I remember when you finished and you didn't go around and tell everybody. So you only told me like towards the end. And I was like, holy shit, that's why she looks so amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's weird because people get quite judgy about it. I wanted to keep it to myself until it was done. I was like, I don't want to. I'm happy to talk about it, but just need to wait till I'm finished. Yeah, no, that makes sense for sure. Cool. All right. Well, I think we're kind of wrapping up now. I just have a couple of last questions that I kind of ask all of my interview partners. Number one, is what does it mean to you to live a meaningful life? I need to have goals. I need to feel like I'm contributing. I need to feel like I'm working towards something. I need to feel involved. Um, I need to feel connected. So when I'm kind of doing those things, I feel good. Like if I'm not connecting with others, I get really apathetic and I don't really have much energy. If I don't know where I'm going or if I'm not passionate about something, my energy goes really down, my physical, mental, and emotional energy. Mm. So having meaning to my life and contributing and beautiful yeah and so and then what do you do on like a daily basis to find fulfillment to find that meaning i love surfing i like to surf at sunrise and that's my sort of physical activity and i often go with friends so that's and play play is so important so i work quite a lot so i'm working online as well so i'm often on my computer doing all this work and i've got so many ideas i want to do but if I get too stuck in that and I don't make time for the play and for the non-work stuff, then I, I suffer as well. So on a day-to-day basis, yes, I'll surf most days. Uh, eating healthy food. So when I am feeding my body the good food, then my emotions are more imbalanced and I want to connect with people as well. Because mm-hmm. when I was quite sick with SIBO, I didn't want to connect with any people. Mm-hmm. I felt very ashamed. I felt really tired. I felt really fat. I didn't want to be assessing. So all the things that would make me feel better, I wasn't doing and isolating myself. So it's important for me to stay connected to friends and family and have play in my life. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. Totally, totally subscribe to the play thing. It's so important. Wonderful. And so you work as a sort of nutrition health coach, a naturopath who works online (laughs) with people all over the world. Mm. I do. And so if people feel inclined now after this interview and they feel like they might want to look into their gut issues or generally the issues that they have, you know, if they suffer from depression mm. or thyroid issues or skin issues or whatever, you basically work with people online, you do Skype sessions. How does it work? Uh, I've changed to Zoom actually. So we do the consultations over Zoom. So wherever you are in the world, as long as we've got an interconnection, we're good. And then during a consultation, like my initial consultation is one hour and we get to go through all the different systems in the body. Because even if you're just feeling it in your gut, I want to know what's happening with anxiety. I want to know what's happening with your sleep. I want to know all these different things. And then from learning all that about your body, I design a treatment protocol. And then I type up notes as we go, I email them out to my clients after. And the way that I've set myself up, because one of my struggles, because I like to travel so much, is I found it really hard to find good quality supplements and I wasted so much time on that. So now I've got suppliers all over the world and wherever my clients are, I just get them shipped straight out. So they usually arrive within one to two days at their door. Same with any testing. If my clients need any testing, I'll organize that. So I'm kind of like a naturopath and a concierge in one. You just that's amazing. Yeah. What I tell you. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's yeah. amazing because we have this idea that we can only go to the doctor that's like right here in our town, you know, but having access to people like you these days that work through Skype or Zoom and who, you know, you, whatever supplement I might need or herbs or something, you order it. And wherever I am on the planet, I receive it, you know, like I just yeah. give you an address and then it shows up on my doorstep two days <laughs> later. It's pretty awesome, you know, like for yeah. me, it's a digital nomad. It's amazing. Yeah. So for anyone who, wherever you are, 
work with Kirsten. She's amazing. She's so sorted exciting. me out and she has sorted so many people out and made them feel amazing. So, Aww. and that's why I do what I do because yeah. it makes me really happy. So, the, the more people I can help that don't have to suffer like I suffered, the happier I am. Yeah, and you're fully living out your calling in that way, you know? And that's I'm, I'm so grateful. Please yeah. says I said that, and I feel like it kind of the universe has helped me get there. That was yeah. really cool. And sometimes the universe has to get us there through pain, like through that suffering, right? And then we can help others through that suffering that we've gone through. And that is a way to live our calling. And I think that's pretty amazing how the universe makes that happen. You know, it's like... And imagine I hadn't moved into that room next door. Exactly. So, you know, imagine you hadn't still be suffering. (laughs) Anyway, where can people find you? What's the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, so my website, I quite like my website, I, it's kirstenswales.com. I tend to write a blog post every week and I've got a little newsletter. Mm-hmm. And I've got my first webinar coming up on the 29th of March, which will be at 6 p.m. Bali time, which is 11 a.m. Germany time. Sorry to the Americans, it's going to be 3 a.m. <laughs> and I'm going to go through. Will there be a replay for people who miss it? Absolutely. Yeah, there will be. Absolutely. So the live one will be on the 29th of March. And I'm going to go through, I'm going to talk a lot about IBS and SIBO and the things that you can do right now. So three, and how to start feeling better in seven days or less. Because I'll go a lot more into like the food type stuff. And if you figure out the foods that you need to be eating, you should be start to feel better in seven days or less. Mm -hmm. You won't be fixed or cured, but uh, you'll definitely Mm -hmm. start to feel better. So yeah, people go and sign up for the webinar if you want to know more about this and what helps and how Kirsten works, which is roughly about a couple of weeks. I'll put everything in the show notes. And also you do a lot of really cool like Facebook Live sometimes and her newsletters are really awesome. So definitely check out her website, kirstenswales.com. She has a lot of really cool information on there. And also like a little recipe book. I remember you did some really nice and healthy gut-friendly recipes. And yeah, thank you so much, Kirsten, for your time and sharing your story and your experience and your expertise with my thank listeners. You. My absolute pleasure. Awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm sending a lot of love to Australia. I'm sending it right back. Awesome. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.